Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor Perry Duggar will deliver a message regarding Jesus' appearance to the two followers on the road to Emmaus. You can follow along with this message in Mark 16, 9-11 and John 20, 11-18. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. ready to take another step. What is that step for you? Did you understand that sort of a haunting refrain, I'll chase your voice through the dark? Anyone know what that means? You, have you lived in the dark when you needed the voice of God to uphold you, to sustain you? We continue our series, The Life of Jesus. We'll be on reading 214 on page 248 today. And today's message is entitled, Hearts Ablaze. It refers to the experience of two travelers who are leaving Jerusalem after Passover week, after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they're returning home to a village called Emmaus, a small village, doesn't exist today, and they encounter Jesus on the road. The theme verse that I've selected, just part of a verse, it's on the top of your message guide. Take that out if you haven't already. And it says, weren't our hearts ablaze within us? And they're actually describing the experience that they had with Jesus as he spoke. Have you ever had a similar experience? Let me see some hands. You would say there had been a time when your heart was ablaze that the Spirit of God was working something in you. Well, that's what we want to discover today. We want to explore this experience with Christ that sets our hearts afire. This is the first post-resurrection appearance in Luke's gospel. And of course, in our summary, all four gospels are combined and so Jesus is, is, has approached these two and imagine their mindset. Who are these people? Well, well, they're certainly uninformed. They're filled with doubt. They're confused. And so we begin. Now that same day, now this is Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection, two of them, the two of Jesus' followers... Were they men or women? Who said that? Speak up again. Was it, what'd you say? Women? You got a different printing than I did. So you thought you were going to anticipate where I was going, didn't you? What does it say? What, what were they? Men or women? It doesn't say. And yet, if you'll read, you'll see how many times the assumption was made. Not that it was two women. I've never read that assumption. But I've read two men. It may have been two men. It may have been a husband and a wife. It could have been a brother and a sister. We don't know who was walking on the road to Emmaus. But we know there were two of them. 
And they were headed to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. As I said, Emmaus doesn't appear today, but they think it may have been absorbed into another village, renamed as another village. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. How do you think these two felt? Come on, emotionally. Defeated, what else? Say it loudly. Hopeless, that's a good one. What else? Angry over here. Somebody said mad, right? I agree with that one. Angry, afraid, confused. Enter the story with me, see? Let's enter the story. Because their hopes and their dreams concerning Jesus are dashed. So they're devastated. We continue, verse 14. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, what were they arguing about? About Jesus coming back? I'm not sure about that one. See, be careful taking what you know today backward into the story. Put yourself on that road with these people according to what they've experienced. It's possible that, but they would be in the minority that anticipated a resurrection. They're talking about what happened, right? You think, now think about it. You know people when something bad has happened and there are two people talking, what are they saying? It was a waste of time. Some of that, they're, they're disappointed. They're frustrated perhaps how they've used, you don't know how long these followers have been with Jesus, but perhaps several years Whose fault was it? How about that? You don't know anybody that's always looking to blame someone, do you? Whose fault was this? And then they'd, they had heard, and you're about to read this, that some women said Jesus wasn't in the tomb. And, and they said an angel said he was alive. And they're wondering, do you think that's really true? Is that what they were saying? Or are they so spiritual they just accepted everything? Like you, Right? Quit spiritualizing this scripture. Let it speak to you. You see? Let it change who you are. But read it not through spiritual eyes yet. Read it factually as it's reporting. Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. Now, this is a startling statement. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Who prevented them? God prevented them. Some translations include the word God. The word God is not in the original text. It's implied, but it isn't stated. They were prevented from recognizing him. Does that make any sense? Why would God prevent them from recognizing Jesus? You think they couldn't handle it, perhaps. I'll give you my idea. Perhaps God didn't want them to recognize the merely human Jesus. Because he wanted to reveal to them Jesus in a supernatural way that would actually transform their lives. 
Now think about that. You don't have to swallow it yet. Think about it. Then he asked him, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? Good teachers ask questions. Have you noticed that? When I was in law school, they taught by Socratic method, which means all they did was ask questions. They didn't lecture at all. You could debate how effective it was, but that's the method anyway. And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. You ever had someone ask you a question that that so shocked you, you just stopped? How'd you feel when you stopped? The one named Cleopas, and this might have been Luke's source for this story, since he's named, answered him. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happen these days? So he's at least surprised. He might be irritated. You know how some of you answer in an irritated fashion when you ask a question you think someone should already know the answer to? Nobody's like that, right? In here. Well, you know, they're frustrated already. They're perhaps angered. They're discouraged. This guy's asking them a stupid question. What do you mean? You're coming from Jerusalem and you don't know what has happened? But they're despondent. And so Jesus, who always says the perfect thing, what things? (laughs) Have you noticed how often when you're praying, when when you're chasing God in the dark, as that's the refrain from the song said, instead of providing you an answer, he asked you a question. Anybody had that experience? Because he wants you to reflect. So we're going to learn from this passage how we, like them, can recognize Jesus. Recognizing Jesus includes at least three things from this passage. First, what he did factually. So we continue, 19b, which is just the latter half of 19. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, which means a spokesman for God, powerful in action, meaning he worked miracles, and speech. Remember, he spoke as one with authority, not like the religious teachers, according to John 7, before God and all the people. Now, specifically, there Moses referred to the prophet, which was a reference to the Messiah found in in Deuteronomy 18, and it's quoted again in Acts 3. And how our chief priest and the leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. You know, it's interesting how how they phrase this, don't they? Jesus was sentenced to death by a Roman governor in a Roman court, crucified by Roman soldiers. But they don't mention the Romans explicitly. Because they believed who was responsible. The Jewish religious leaders were responsible. And and Pilate, the governor, and the Roman soldiers were merely carrying out the will of of the Jewish religious leaders. And they don't mention the crowd here either. The Jewish crowd. 
even though it was the, the Jewish citizens, those who would come for the festival, that demanded that Jesus be crucified and this criminal Barabbas be released. But Matthew 27 and Acts 4 and Acts 5 all say that they were manipulated by the chief priests, by the religious rulers. So the death of Jesus has happened, and these two travelers are devastated. And they continue. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Now, redeem literally means to buy back or to ransom for a price. And it requires the payment of a price, of some sum, of some significance to purchase the freedom of another. And so they're disappointed because they thought he was, he was the Messiah. But see, a dead Messiah didn't fit their thinking. Because as we've looked over all these weeks, they expected a leader who would liberate them from Roman oppression. They expected a Messiah king who would establish the kingdom that's described in the Old Testament. The son of David would be on the throne and his kingdom would never end. 2 Samuel 7. Now these people knew what had happened to Jesus, right? They had the facts accurate. And they'd even heard this surprising report from some women who were also his followers. Verse 21. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb. Who went to the tomb? Say it louder. Peter and John. Which one was faster? John, which one was more afraid? Uh -uh, John's the one that stopped. Peter went right in. You say, well, he may have not been intelligent enough to be afraid. But he just, remember, he he was outrun by John, but then he burst on in. John stopped at the door and looked in. Peter just blew right in. Which one are you? And found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So these travelers, are they convinced that Jesus is raised from the dead? No, they're, they, they, they're not convinced by what the women said. And they're, Peter and John, who also went, neither of them, in fact, none of the three saw Jesus alive. So they're just confused and still sad. They know the facts. But they haven't been born again by these facts. They don't possess spiritual insight here. Even though all their facts are correct. They weren't sure about the resurrection. They certainly didn't understand its spiritual significance. And so the facts of Jesus' life. Which are found in the scripture. And we, we've, they're found in the four gospels. Which is why we've spent... 
now up to 38 weeks, learning who Jesus is. So we, we, we see him as a model for our lives, teaching us how to relate to God, teaching us how to relate to each other, knowing his nature, understanding his personality. And this report is valuable to us. Look at 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that, every, so that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's a generic male pronoun or male noun. Knowing the facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are important. Because they let us know his character. His personality, his attitudes, we see his actions. We know what he did, we know what he avoided doing. We know how he spoke to people, we know how he used his time. And all these are a model for us. But that awareness doesn't by itself save us. But it's a place to start. Are you familiar with the facts of Jesus' life? Are you? You know, that's one of the purposes of this Life of Jesus message series is that we could eliminate some of our speculation and some of our incorrect understanding and that we would know the man, the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He's been surprising to me. I wonder if he has to you in ways. Recognizing Jesus also includes knowing what it means theologically. Now theology literally, theos is God, ology is the study of. So it's literally the study of God is what the word theology means. But when we know facts, we also need to know what they mean. We need to understand the significance of his words and his actions spiritually, theologically. We know what he did, but what does it mean to us? What do we understand? Requires some interpretation, right? When we observe each other, We have to interpret what actions mean, don't we? You walk in the house. Your wife's standing there looking at you like this. Well, you can see, I see that you have an expression on your face that isn't delight. (laughs) Now, that's worth nothing unless you know what it means, right? Well, the same is true. We learn the facts of Jesus' life, but we have to know what they mean. We have to understand the spiritual significance. And so he said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus rebuked them, but then he explained. 
Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, these two needed to know not only the factual information of Jesus' life, and they needed to know Jesus rose to dead, but they also needed to know why. What's the spiritual, theological significance of the resurrection? They needed to grasp God's plan of redemption for Israel and the world. And they needed to understand that that it required the Messiah to suffer, die, and be resurrected. That's interpreting the actions they see. You understand the difference? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Or in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. See, they were right to expect the Messiah to establish his kingdom over Israel and the world. They understood that literally. They completely misunderstood that he had to suffer and die to do so. That's why they're so disappointed. Because like all these other Jewish people, they expected the Messiah to conquer their oppressors, not be killed by them. Now, there was no excuse for their confusion because the Old Testament, it was clear and understandable that sin must be paid for by a substitute. Leviticus 27 is very clear. The soul that sins must must die. Without the shedding of blood, there's no removal of sin. They had just participated in the Passover festival. Feast of Unleavened Bread. It displayed the principle that forgiveness of sin required death. But they did not make the connection between the death of Jesus and the sacrifice of animals at the temple. Who thinks anyone was saved by the sacrifice of animals at the temple? Is it because you've been informed or you're scared? You say, well, why? Why were all these animals killed? To teach this principle that sin requires death. And it was a gory object lesson. Fulfilled thousands of times over many years. But it didn't remove sin. All right, you know the facts. Do you understand the spiritual significance of Jesus' actions? The events in his life, his teaching. Do you know why he had to die? Do you? Why do you have to die? He died in our place. He was our substitute. He he sacrificed himself as a substitute. Do you know why he had to be raised from the dead? That's a harder question. We're so used to saying it. How obvious is it? Why did he have to be raised from the dead? 
if his death, if his death allowed your sins to be removed, why did he have to be raised? Somebody say it singularly. He overcame death. That's a fact. But what does it show theologically? What is the meaning? Yes, it shows he has the power of death. But we have to understand why. How. See, his resurrection proves he had no sin. If Jesus had one sin, he would have died for himself. And he couldn't have died in our places. The resurrection proves that he died sinless. And when he reappeared, it's proof that God received his death for our sakes. If Jesus remained in the tomb, we would not know whether forgiveness was possible for us. You understand that? I mean, see, we've been saying this stuff over and over for years, but I want you to stop and say, why? What's the significance? What does it mean? And again, my hope is that this series, in this series, you've, you've understood not only what Jesus did, but some why. What does it mean? What's the spiritual significance of his works? Knowledge of the of facts of Jesus' life and the understanding of theology are both very important. And they provide God's truth to guide our lives. But they are insufficient for spiritual birth. Without a personal encounter with Jesus the Christ by his spirit. Ephesians 1.17. So recognizing Jesus includes knowing who he is personally. Verse 28, they came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus had explained them some amazing things. And, and, and it, they're beginning to understand as he surveyed the Old Testament. But he probably, you know, said, well, okay, I'll, I'll see you later. And so they said, no, stay with us longer. Now, the, the invitation wasn't unusual. Because hospitality, and literally that means the love of strangers, was commanded in the law of Moses. Leviticus 19. So Jews were expected to offer lodging to people from out of town. Because there weren't many motels. And Jews were required to travel from all over the country to Jerusalem three times a year. So they had to have somewhere to stay. So this was just a practical part of God's law. But I suspect this invitation wasn't motivated merely by hospitality. What about you? Since Jesus, you know, had, had acted like he was going to continue, it implies that he had somewhere else to go, right? Which implies he planned on staying somewhere. 
even if it was sleeping outside. I think they wanted to hear more. Do you, is that what you think? Don't go, don't go any farther. That's what they're saying. And even though they thought well, he might have somewhere, no, stay with us, stay with us. See, when God's spirit is at work within you, and he's beginning to bring spiritual life within. You know what I'm talking about here? One sign that it's happening is you have an insatiable appetite for God's word. You remember that, Michael? You want to know his truth. You aren't bored with with anybody's teaching. You want to hear more. And so sometimes people say, well, how do I know if I'm saved? And one of the questions that I ask is, do you love God's word? If you're indifferent to God's word, if you're bored with what you hear, if you think I've heard it all, you need to take a closer look at yourself. And I'm talking about, you know, can, can I go in here in the children's department and will there be something said that will inspire me about Christ? Because Jesus Christ is a deep well. It amazes me when, when people say, well, I've heard this. I'm bored with this. I don't, you know, don't want to hear this. I have nothing to... That's not spiritual. That's unspiritual. Or I can only learn from a certain speaker. Well, no, I'm not God. Well, that's obvious. You see what I'm saying? It isn't, it isn't Perry's personality or David Hardy's nature. It's God's word spoken through a vessel. You see what I'm saying? And in this church, it's happening for children. It's happening for students. It's happening in here. I urge you, involve your families, involve your children, involve your teenagers. Don't buy this, I've heard it all. That's a dangerous statement. It's a very dangerous statement. Verse 30. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. What's puzzling about that? Huh? No, come on, what's puzzling about this? He's a guest, somebody said. You ever had a guest come in your house and just open the cabinets? Pull out the bread? Where's the salami? Give me some, oh no, I don't like that mustard. Give me the the brown mustard. You ever had that happen at your house? Come on, Randy, have you? It'd be be odd, wouldn't it? Depending on who your friends are. This guy's a complete stranger. He took over the dinner. Startling. He took over the meal. He broke the bread. We know that he's God. Yes, they don't. Maybe they're so enraptured by his teaching, they forgot about eating. You ever been there? God's spirit is teaching you so much. You don't care about anything but hearing. 
Then their eyes were opened. Who opened their eyes? God opened their eyes. Not some guy breaking a loaf of unleavened bread. You see what I'm saying? The fact was this man sat down and broke the bread. The theological significance was God is imparting something to them through an experience in his presence. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. So Jesus blessed the bread, he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. Was it by human reason? They had walked seven miles with this guy. They were unable to see before. This is spiritual revelation. You remember when it happened to you? See, you you didn't believe the gospel the first time you heard it. I mean, there might be someone in here that did. Not many of us. But the difference is whether... You grasp the gospel, or did the gospel grasp you? You know the difference? Has the gospel grasped you? That's spiritual revelation. This is a picture of being born again. It's being born again. It's having your eyes open to spiritual realities. Suddenly, it's like the whole world just pivoted. You remember that day? And everything looks different. And conversations sound different. And the way you apprise the world around you is completely changed. That's being born again. Okay, so he, now he's sitting there eating, lay, reclining... He disappeared. What would you have said if he had just disappeared? What in the world or what in the just happened? It's not what they said. It's not what they said. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us? While he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. Now, I want you to understand this. Humanly, what would they have felt? Who's this guy asserting himself in our kitchen? He did, he, how did he disappear? Humanly. That's what, that, isn't that what everybody would have said? Humanly? But the Spirit of God has given them new birth. They're not even concerned about that. They're amazed at how the Word of God has opened up to them. And their hearts have caught fire. And these two were saved in the exact same way as you were. By the Holy Spirit coming in, 
You know know what I'm talking about? He's changing some things. There's something happening inside here. I don't know what it is. But suddenly, I want to know God's word. Suddenly, I love some people I couldn't stand. Suddenly, I, I care about Jesus Christ. I can't hear enough. And unfortunately, we think that's something exceptional among Christians. No, that's mere Christianity. That's what a Christian looks like. When we have a personal encounter with Jesus, you know what? A lot of these questions about his identity, the reality of resurrection, the truth of his word, a lot of those questions, you know, the creation of the world, how old is the world, a lot of those things, they just disappear. Have you noticed that? Because they've been replaced by a supernatural relationship with your Savior. One of my friends was disappointed that some college students had discouraged the faith of her child. And I said, you know, you can't, I don't think a college professor with a PhD or a few of them has that much power. If you have experienced the person of Jesus Christ illuminating your soul, no one will talk you out of it. Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus that set your heart ablaze? Have you? Let me see some hands if you don't. I don't want to embarrass you, but I just want to know where are we? Spiritually, I don't expect everyone in this room has, but, but we need to keep on. We need to keep looking at his life. We need to keep reading his word. We need to keep praying, but we need to keep asking him to show himself. Now, I believe we've learned much of Jesus' life from studying this book. But I want you to take out that card, and we're just going to do it for a minute. How has this study, the Life of Jesus series, impacted your life? Write down an answer. And there are mailboxes at every door as you leave in just a moment. I'm just about through. You can also do this on the Brookwood app if you have too much to write. But put your information down because we're going to compile this and we want to understand and then tell you what has happened in our midst. As you write, I want to remind you that the first Sunday of every month, well, we do it every Sunday, but I'm, I'm asking you, if it's inconvenient, I'm asking you to put the effort forth just the first Sunday. At 8.15, we'll be praying. And you say, well, I can pray anywhere. That's true. And I hope you are praying anywhere and everywhere. But we gather as a, as a body of Christ, as a family, and we say, God, do a work in our midst. And I think the fact that you got up earlier and you inconvenienced yourself matters to God. I do. And so we'll come and we, we ask God to open people's eyes to set, to set our own hearts ablaze and others and our family and our, among our friends in our church and our community. So I want to urge you. Y'all keep writing your notes. I'm just talking while you write. Let me urge you. From this story today, understand that the human role is limited. 
It can take you so far. We can teach the facts. We can instruct in theology. We can't give new life. So we ask God to open eyes, to set hearts ablaze. I'm going to close in prayer. You feel free to sit and finish writing your card. And then, as I said, put them in the boxes as you leave. Father, only you can give eyes to the blind. Only you can turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And then you can set them afire. God, I pray today you would do that to many of us. Many of us by your spirit. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.